No, ma'am, not yet. here
and that they would uh, trust you as their Savior uh, before it is too late. For those that um, have uh, family members that they have lost recently, perhaps to death, and uh, that need uh, your grace and your comfort, we pray that you would guide and direct there and that you would draw very near to them. And then, Lord, as we get into your word today, I pray that you will guide us with your Holy Spirit, help us to understand and to take heed to the truth that you give us from your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I did mention, fail to mention also my friend uh, David Clevenger, who pastored down in Inverness, Florida, that passed away with the COVID here a few months ago. They had his memorial service this past week, and so... Uh, for the family, it's been very difficult, again, as you can imagine, kind of opening a fresh wound there. And uh, continue to pray for their comfort, if you would. Uh, that's the Clevenger family, and forgot to mention that. And uh, it's been exciting to see and to hear in the last week or so of the opportunities that God has given some of our church family to share the gospel. And I hope that we pray for that and look forward to that. Um, since uh, Steak and Shake has shut down, that used to be my my uh, preferential place to go eat because it was cheap, and uh, I've had to go over to the Waffle House instead, and uh, the folks over there have gotten to know us a little bit, <clears throat> and uh, early on Sunday mornings, many times I'll go there to get a cup of coffee and a, a small breakfast, and uh, the the waitresses now have uh, gotten to the place where they come to me and ask me what I'm going to preach on on Sunday morning, so I get to give them a message before they even get busy for the day and uh, had an opportunity this morning to do that was talking with one of the ladies and sharing with her what I was going to preach on this morning and she said you know that's really good she said we need to have messages that apply to our everyday lives and she said I went to a church where they just talked about uh, the end times all the time and what was going to happen and what where we're going to be and everything she said but it never helped me day by day and you know we were talking the other night at the campfire uh, at the last night or uh, two nights ago at the campfire a little bit um, about things that are helpful, uh, things that uh, you know we struggle with maybe in our lives that we need to um, uh, get straight or we need to figure out and things that can be applicable to our lives. And uh, I think it's very important that when we come to God's Word that we look for the ways not only to know its truth but to apply its truth. And Charles Spurgeon, who was known as the Prince of Preachers, said, uh, one time he said the messages begin when the application begins. And so as we come to God's Word, I hope that we constantly, whether it's in personal Bible study or during the preaching time or whatever the case may be, uh, I hope that we come with the idea that, Lord, I want you to show me your truth and I want you to help me apply it to my life. And that is the key to growing in the Christian life, is not just knowing a lot about God's Word, but being able to live God's Word and to do what it says and so I hope that uh, we'll encourage you and look for opportunities. People are hurting and people are starving for the good news of the gospel, even if they don't know what, the, what it is that they're hurting and, and starving for. And we need to be uh, always looking for those opportunities uh, to share it with them, and uh, it'll be a blessing to them. Let's turn in our uh, Bibles to Exodus chapter number 9. Exodus chapter number 9. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, we'll begin in verse number 22. Now, last week we got to um, the uh, area where the cattle were going to be slain. And uh, we, we've already mentioned the fact that at this point in the plagues, after from the third plague on, actually from the fourth plague on up until the third plague, 
uh, the nation of Israel is separated from the Egyptians in the having to go through the plagues. A lot of people don't realize that the Israelites went through the first three plagues with the Egyptians. They suffered right along with them. After the third plague, uh, God separates uh, uh, the Israelites uh, from the Egyptians and says, okay, this plague is only going to affect the Egyptians from this point on. And uh, we got to the uh, plague last week of the cattle dying, and we began to see uh, some glimmers of the people of Egypt finally starting to recognize and to fear the God of the Israelites. They began to realize, hey, this God is a God above all of the gods that we serve. They had, uh, I think it was 57, I think is what I uh, uh, read about here a couple weeks ago, different gods that the Egyptians served during this time. And uh, so you can imagine, each of them had their favorite God, or the one that they worshipped, the one that they thought was uh, mightier than the other. And um, they're, they're finally getting to the place where they're recognizing that God is God. And by the way, <clears throat> we, uh, we look at that and we think, boy, that should have been a no-brainer. It should have been easy to understand from the very first plague. But the truth is, one of the big battles in our life is to find out that God is not just a God, but He's the one true God. He said, Brother Greg, I'm a Christian. I, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. But how many times do we put other things in our life above the things of the Lord? And, you know, the Bible calls it idolatry. It becomes more important to us than the things of God. And while we wouldn't call it that ourselves, and while oftentimes we don't even realize that we're doing it, there are many times that even in Christians' lives, we don't really recognize God for who He is. And we, we look at Him as the one who is our Savior, and then we go through our life and we struggle with things in our life that we really shouldn't have to struggle with. We, we deal with things and we're anxious about things and we're worried about things that really we shouldn't be anxious about or worried about if we truly see God as He really is. And so just because we look at the nation of Egypt and we say, boy, they are a heathen and a pagan people and they're finally finding out who God is, the truth is we have to do that on a daily basis. We have to recognize and make a conscious effort to say we believe that God is the one true God. We know He is. And He's going to direct my steps today. He's going to put a path before me. He's going to allow these things to, to uh, uh, be part of my life. And we need to draw near to Him in a lot of these areas uh, and, and recognize that uh, God is able. God is able. He'll, he'll allow us to go and do what we want to do, won't He? But He prefers for us to come to Him and say, Lord, I don't want my will done. I want Your will done. And that's the, really the struggle. That's the battle. That's the choice of the victorious Christian life, of saying, I want to live victoriously, or I'm going to live a defeated life. So the, the, the Egyptians are just now starting to get to this point. It's amazing that it's taken this long. But before we get too critical of them, uh, we sometimes are hard to learn or slow to learn too, aren't we? And uh, they certainly were that way. And so we find that um, just before we get to verse number 22, that some of the servants of Pharaoh took their cattle and put them indoors and they were spared. They feared the God of the Israelites. But there were some that still were stubborn. And, uh, of course, Pharaoh was still hardened in his heart. And so some of them, they lost their cattle. And we get to verse number 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man, upon beast, upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran along the ground and the rain, uh, Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with hail 
very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time, and we mentioned this just at the end of our lesson last week, that Pharaoh is finally to the place where he's recognizing that God is a God of righteousness. And he says this, I have sinned this time, the Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. And this is the first time in all of this that we see Pharaoh finally bowing to the fact that God is greater. But notice it says, in verse number 28, he says, Entreat the Lord, for it is enough. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough. In other words, I've had enough of this. And I want you to go and entreat the Lord for me. Have you ever thought of this as you read through these plagues? That one of the downfalls of Pharaoh, and you never do find him uh, dealing with this issue, he always comes to Pharaoh and Aaron and says, I want you to entreat the Lord for me on my behalf. But we do not find Pharaoh saying, I need to go to God myself. I need to understand what I've done and I need to come before God. He always goes to Pharaoh and, or to Aaron and to Moses and says, I need you to entreat the Lord for me. I think there's something about someone coming and saying, Lord, I have sinned. And being, uh, being able to own up to their own mistakes and take accountability for them. And to be able to say, Lord, I need your help. You don't find Pharaoh crying out to God. You find him going to Aaron and Moses and asking him to entreat for him. Just an interesting thought along the way uh, that we don't see that. And Moses said unto him, verse number 29, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder and shall cease, and there shall be no more hail, and thou, that thou mayest know that, uh, how that the earth is the Lord's. For as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not... Uh, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord God. And the flax and the barley was smitten, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was bold. But the wheat and the rye were not smitten, for they were not grown up. And Moses went out of the city of Pharaoh, and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord. And the thunders and hail ceased, the rain was not poured upon the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more, and hardened his heart. He and his servants. You ever thought on that? Just just before this happened, Pharaoh had gone to Moses and said, Entreat the Lord for me, for I, <coughs> I have sinned. I have sinned. The Lord is righteous. And then Moses uh, entreats God for him, and God stays his hand. And notice this, that the Bible says, and he sinned yet more. You know how often you and I do this? Lord, forgive me. I, I've failed you. I have failed you. And this is the saddest thing of my life, and I'm sure of many of our lives is if we look at it. How often <coughs> we have sinned against God. We've come to Him and said, Lord, I'm sorry. And then there's another day, another hour, perhaps however long it is. We sin again, don't we? 
And the truth is we're going to battle that fight all the way up until we're in heaven one day. It's going to be one of those things where the old flesh nature is going to continue to war with the Spirit. And the sad fact of the matter is we're going to continue to succumb to the things that the flesh wants no matter how hard we battle it, no matter how hard we fight it. There are times that we have moments of weakness, moments where we willingly choose to sin. And by the way, I was listening. Uh, I had a friend of mine that's a preacher friend um, that came to our men's advances down in Florida one year. Uh, he was preaching at it, and I was listening to the session. And he made a statement I'd really never given a whole lot of thought to, but he said this. You know, we use the phrase, well, that person has fallen into sin, or I fell into sin, perhaps, would be the excuse. He said, the truth is, none of us ever fall into sin. We, we willingly choose. We do. We willingly choose. There, there's, there's a point where we say, I know it's wrong, but I don't care. And we sin. Nobody's walking along, minding their own business, serving God, loving God, and then all of a sudden they look up and they're in sin already, and they're like, how did I get here? They didn't just fall into it. Every sin we commit, we do so willingly. And it's something we've got to uh, battle. I've said this so often before. Uh, the flesh is always going to war against the Spirit, and the Spirit is always going to war against the flesh. The Bible teaches us that very clearly. And the one that we feed the most is going to be the stronger of the truth. We feed the flesh... If we go out and we try to, to, to do things that the flesh enjoys all the time and we're trying to uh, encourage the flesh in those things, our form of entertainment, the things that we read, the places we go, the people we hang around, all of that affects our flesh. And if we continue to feed the flesh, it's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. But if we'll continue to feed the Spirit, it will get stronger and stronger and stronger. So instead of doing some things the flesh likes to do. Let's spend more time maybe memorizing some Scripture or reading the Bible or going to a revival service or doing things that will draw our spirit to the things of the Lord. And let's feed it and let's strengthen it. And the more that we do that, the greater times we will be able to have victory over the sin. The more times, the more often, we will be able to have victory over sin. And uh, so very, very important that we understand this. So Pharaoh, he, he, he says... I have sinned against God at the first part, and then Moses takes the plague away, and then the Bible says this, that Pharaoh sinned yet again. <clears throat> and the heart of Pharaoh, verse number 35, was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Verse chapter 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him, and that, here's another reason why God has hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt. That's a very important phrase. As we go through the wilderness journeys, we're going to find that there's going to be some things given by God to the nation of Israel. And there's also going to be some things that are found out as they go through the wilderness wanderings, that will come back to this particular phrase. Because there comes a time during the wilderness wanderings that there arises another generation after them. The Bible says it this way, who knew not God nor His wonderful works. The reason that they did not know God or His wonderful works was because the parents had failed to, to commit to their children and to share with their children 
the mighty things that God had done. Uh, by the way, that, that serves in this life, doesn't it? We see young people after young people after young people in the day that we live that, that get out from their home or they get to a certain age and they say, I don't want to have anything to do with the things of the Lord. Uh, I'm tired of it. Mom and Dad made me go to church all these years. And the truth is we've done a great job getting the external part of their life to fall in line with what we would like to see them be spiritually and as a Christian. But we've spent very little time showing them the things that God has done that would affect their heart on the inside. For them to see God at work in our lives. When God gives us a blessing, do we get excited about it with our kids? Do we pull them together and say, boy, kids, let me share something with you. i got to tell you what God did today. I mean, it's exciting to see. I remember years ago, our family was in a, a very difficult situation financially. Our church was struggling in the 08 uh, recession and everything, and we weren't able to get paychecks for quite a few months, and so we were struggling just trying to eat. And, and uh, I remember we went about two or three weeks uh, having canned biscuits and chicken broth for meals, every meal, because that was the, the, the cheapest thing we could buy, and that was, that was what we fed our, our family with. And uh, about a week and a half or so into that, my oldest daughter, who was uh, about maybe I would say 10, 10 years old or so at the time, uh, Alyssa, we're sitting there at the dining room table, and Mom puts the food on the table, and we bow our heads and we pray, and we start eating. And uh, about two or three minutes into it, she's like, Dad, do we have to eat this again? Because <laughs> we had it every meal for like a week and a half straight. And I said, and I had just come back about a week and a half, or about a month before that, I guess, from a mission trip down to Haiti with a, a mission group that uh, had me come down with them. And uh, I saw the, the, the poverty of that country. How that there were kids down there literally that would mix dirt with some herbs and eat it just so they could get that hungry feeling out of their stomach. And I sat there at the table and tears began to come down my face. And I said, guys, God has supplied this for us. We've not missed one meal, not one. And I said, you know, we may have to eat this for another month or two months, or we may have to eat it for a year, I don't know. But God has supplied it for us. And I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be thankful for that? And we had already prayed and thanked God for the meal that we had. I said, but I want us to stop and I, let's thank Him again. We bowed our heads in the middle of dinner that night and thanked Him a second time. And this time when we prayed, it was a little different than the first time. Because we sometimes go through the motion of thanking God. But for our young people to see God at work, what they looked at as something that was a negative and something that was terrible, all of a sudden became a blessing that God had done for our family. We began to rejoice in that, that God had given us food. And can I tell you this, that we sometimes go through the motions. As adults, we get, if we're not careful, we get in the, the habit of trying to make our young people outwardly be something and never dealing with the heart of the issue. And uh, all that we could take. I, I love when my children and I have long conversations about God and oh, how we can share things with them that uh, they look at and they say, boy, you know, we just don't see things like that all the time. And when God does something miraculous, when God does something amazing, I want my kids to see it. I want them to know about it and to realize this wasn't just a circumstance that happened. God did this, and He did it for us because they need to see God's hand at work. 
And God hardened Pharaoh's heart in chapter number 10, and, and He gives another reason here why He did. He told Moses, He says, I want you to be able to tell your sons. And I want you to be able to tell your sons' sons the mighty things that God has wrought in Egypt. That's going to be important. Because this generation that's seeing these things firsthand are going to pass off the scene one day. And there's going to come another generation after them. And they need to know the things that God has done. They need to see these things through their parents' eyes. And so they do this, and God has another reason for it here. <clears throat> and he says in verse number 3, And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring the locusts into thy coast, and they shall cover the face of the earth, and one cannot be able to see the earth and they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth uh, for, uh, for you out of the field. And they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy father's fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth until this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? <laughs> By the way, isn't that just like an unsaved person, perhaps, to look at the things that God brings into their life by way of trying to get their attention or by way of chasing or judgment upon them and to say, these Christians, they're the ones that brought this upon us. These, these Hebrews, they're the ones that brought this upon us. No, they, no, it wasn't. It was the stubbornness of their own hearts. It was the hardness of their own hearts that brought this upon them. He says, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet uh, that Egypt is destroyed? And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go, serve the Lord <coughs> your God, but who are they that shall go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds will we go, for we must hold uh, a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go, and your little ones look to it, for evil is before you. Uh, not so. Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for that ye did desire. And they were driven out from before Pharaoh's presence. And so Pharaoh says, you know what, uh, who are you going to take? <laughs> and basically Moses said, all of it. We're going to take the kids, the parents, everybody. They're going to take our cattle. We're, we're going. We're leaving. And Pharaoh said, no, not so. He said, I'll let you go, and, uh, but I'm not going to let, your, let everybody go. You can let, take your men with you, and you can go take the men and do what you need to do. But leave everything else and everyone else behind. Notice in verse 12, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of Egypt for locusts, that they may come up upon the land of Egypt, and eat every herb of the land, even all the hail that hath left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt. And the Lord brought an east wind unto the land, all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them there were no such locusts as they, neither after them uh, uh, such shall be. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened. They did eat every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which hail, uh, the hail had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field, 
through all the land of Egypt. Now, I want to stop here for a minute. We'll probably spend the rest of the hour on this thought. <coughs> Pharaoh's finally starting to, again, give a little bit. And I truly think that if God would have allowed it, that at this point, Pharaoh would have probably let the men go. But Pharaoh's trying to barter or bargain or negotiate with God, isn't he? He's saying, okay, I'm going, to let, I'm going to let God's people go, but not all of God's people go. Can I tell you that we do this a lot with God? And it's amazing how much we do. Again, it's one of those things we often don't realize that we do. God, God works on our heart about something, and we make that decision. And we say, okay, Lord, I'll do it, but I will only do it to this point. In other words, it's got to be on my terms. Um, maybe God is, is talking to us or, or uh, working in our hearts um, about sharing the gospel more. Okay, Lord, I'll share the gospel as long as it doesn't, and then we have a list of things. Or I'll do, I'll, I'll do this with my life as long as you do that. And we begin to make conditional promises to God or conditional uh, surrender to God. And uh, it's amazing to me. How many times we are willing to give our lives to God, but not all of it. We, we always have that little bit of, I, okay, I'll give it to you, but I'm not going to give all of it to you. If you remember uh, the story of the three men that came to the Lord Jesus Christ during His earthly ministry, they said, Lord, we will follow Thee whithersoever Thou goest, didn't they? And uh, it's interesting that God calls the second one, the, the, the first one and the third one, they volunteer. They say, Lord, we will follow thee with us wherever thou goest. And uh, they say, and then the Lord begins to tell them a little bit of the cost of going with them. And uh, they, all three, uh, we never hear of again in Scripture. All three of them, obviously, did not follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've often thought of this, and I've taught this to young people before, that the problem with these men were not that they were unwilling to follow Christ. Because all three of them said, Lord, we will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. The problem they had was that they were not willing to follow Christ first. And that was their problem. And the truth is, we have that same issue so many times in our lives where we say, Lord... I love you. I just don't love you first. Lord, I'll follow you. I just won't follow you first. Lord, I'll be obedient to what your word says. I just won't do it first. And we, we pride ourselves oftentimes in our willingness. But we oftentimes hold back that slight bit of making our willingness without requirement. To say, Lord, I'm willing to follow you, and there is nothing between me and you that will hold me back from that. I'm willing to follow you first in my life. Pharaoh, he's finally starting to uh, say, Okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do that, but let's just do part of it. I'll let the men go. I'm not going to let the women, the children, the cattle. We're going to keep those here. 
And we look again at that, we shake our heads, we think, boy, how much harder can Pharaoh be? But yet again, this is one of those things that is a great picture and a great illustration of a battle that we fight day by day. That we're willing to follow God. And I think if we were to go around the room, there's not one person in here today that would say, I'm not willing to follow God. I think we would all say that. But in practice, I think there may be several of us that would say, I'm not following Him first. I've got other things that take precedent over the things of God. And uh, what Pharaoh needs to learn is, I'm going to give what God wants, and I'm going to give it to Him without reservation. I'm not going to bargain with Him. I'm not going to try to negotiate. I, I love negotiating. I don't know about you all. I, <clears throat> if, I go to, if I go to McDonald's and they have a sale on cheeseburgers where they're a quarter, I'll offer them 20 cents. I love to negotiate. But when it comes time to negotiate or to walk with God and to surrender our lives to Him, that's not a time to negotiate. That's a time to say, Lord, you've got it, and you've got it all. You can have every bit of it without reservation. And that's, you know, Satan's, Satan's really shrewd. My dad used to say this years ago, and growing up I heard him say it over and over and over again. And then as I get older, the more real it becomes. You know, Satan never comes to a Christian and says, don't follow God. He never comes to a Christian and says, don't obey God. He just says, don't follow him and don't obey him today. Wait till tomorrow. You can do it. You, it's okay. You can follow God. Just don't do it now. Just don't do it now. And Satan does that quite a bit, doesn't he? Uh, he does it in young people's lives. He does it in old people's lives. I'll surrender to God. I'll give him everything I've got. Uh, I'll just do it tomorrow. I'm not going to do it today. got too many things today I, I would like to do. And uh, if we're not careful, we'll catch ourselves being willing to give God everything, just not willing to give him everything first. And so I hope that will be a help to us. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it as we finish studying about the plagues next week. And, uh, Lord, we deal with some of these topics as we go through them. It's amazing how many little lessons we find uh, tucked away in these verses, the responses that Pharaoh gives, the, the patience of a long-suffering God. And yet uh, there's a dealing that God continues to do in the hearts of Pharaoh and the Egyptians that many times we can look at in our lives and we can see those same battles. <coughs> we can see those same struggles. And I pray that you would help us to glean the wisdom and the guidance as we look back and see how you have dealt with them and how you have so carefully dealt with us. I pray that you'd help us to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you that will grow daily the way that you would want us to grow, that we become more of what you would want us to be, and, Father, may we learn day by day not just to be willing to follow you, but to be willing to follow you first. We pray that you'll dismiss us with your blessings. Bless the next service to follow. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.